Yes, sir. According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me, if you would, in John 21. John 21, we almost wrapped this up last week and just had a couple of final details we couldn't get to, so let's take a look at it. And then uh, we'll see if we can move on after episode 9 or not. I went ahead and got sneaky and attached episodes 10 and 11 to the end of this slideshow. So we'll see if uh, it's kind of a hybrid slideshow, uh, but we'll see if uh, if we actually get that far today. Lord willing and rapture pending. John 21, do you love me more than these? Before we begin, let's start with a word of silent prayer, asking God the Father to set aside distractions and to humble us under the authority of his word. Shall we pray? We do thank you, Heavenly Father, for the truth of your word, for the privilege that we have to assemble together this morning. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Uh, Day by day, moment by moment, Father, your mercies are renewed. Great is thy faithfulness. Father, we um, humble ourselves and submit to your authority, recognizing that as the word goes forth, Father, it's not the word of men, it's the word of God. We ask, Father, that we might be humble before you and your authority, Father, for what you choose to teach us on this day. We have ears to hear. We're commanded to make use of the ears that you've provided. So, Father, um, cause us to hear. Fix our eyes firmly upon Jesus. We thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. All right. We uh, have worked our way through almost to the end of this episode, seeing, first of all, that this is a unique episode. It's not recorded in the Synoptic Gospels. Secondly, we've seen how this, uh, the authorship of this chapter has been debated. Discuss that a little bit. Thirdly, point three, um, it's a failure on the part of these professional fishermen. As has happened before, these professionals failed at their secular work. And in this chapter, just like in Luke chapter 5, uh, they have nothing to show for their earthly pursuits, nothing to show for their uh, physical endeavors. And uh, some, some folks try to blend these two episodes. I don't know how or why. I think the only reason you would try is if you have a flawed understanding of what the Bible is to begin with. Under point four, uh, the first men's breakfast tradition, all right, whereby they uh, ate the fish and the bread and uh, didn't talk until the breakfast was over. And uh, then, comes the, uh, <clears throat> then comes the object lesson, which I have titled Peter's Private Prompt which is point five, Peter's private prompt, do you love me? Interesting, it's a charcoal fire setting. There's only two places in the Bible where a charcoal fire even occurs. Okay, it's kind of interesting, these Bible terms. Um, the other day we were talking about Metallica. Okay, and uh, it's, that's the Greek word for mining. It's the word for metal. And, uh, you know, just why do you think the, the, the band picked it for their heavy metal band name? They called it Metallica. All right. Not that I know about such stuff, but from prior years, I understand it. Uh, but hey, how about another Greek word? How about anthrax? Okay, there's another heavy metal thrasher kind of band. All right. Why do they pick these names? And, uh, and so forth. Why do I pick these names for my uh, study? 
All right. Or uh, different things there. All right. Um, so the charcoal fire was the setting for Peter's three denials. Now it becomes the setting for Peter's three affirmations. The three uh, I love you's that the Lord forces him to speak. And uh, the context there. The interchange... Uh, between Jesus and Peter contrasts four pairs of synonyms. Went through those. Um, this passage demonstrates Peter's place within the Bible's significant shepherding emphasis. The Bible as a whole has a significant shepherding emphasis. Old Testament, New Testament, throughout all the Bible is a significant shepherding emphasis. And Peter specifically has a place within that. He is the one that is spotlighted in the Gospels with the do you love me uh, tend my sheep emphasis. He is the one that proclaims the shepherding um, emphasis in First Peter chapter five, the, the the powerful shepherding passage that we have there that relates to local churches and how we are to be shepherding in the local church context. And so I can't begin to tell you here how uh, what an impact that is. Now we got through that last week. Am I correct? We got through First Peter five, or I ran out of time before we got through First Peter five. We got through it. All right. So we're ready now to move on to main point D. Peter's three affirmations then prompts the Lord. Jesus delivers a prophecy concerning Peter's martyrdom. Verses 18 and 19. So after the third imperative, he then makes a prophecy. Peter's three affirmations prompts the Lord's prophecy concerning Peter's martyrdom. This is point D in the outline. Peter's three affirmations. And I suspect, you know, had Peter not made these three affirmations, then maybe the prophecy would have been different. All right? But he does uh, have the victory here in the three affirmations of I love you. And uh, then uh, in the consequence of the third I love you comes this prophecy. And it's a prophecy concerning Peter's martyrdom, verses 18 and uh, 19. Now, I'm going to read verse 18 for you, and there's a lot of debate about it, and it goes back and forth, and everybody wants to argue it, uh, which I find stupid, because the explanation comes in verse 19, you know? Um, Why would I argue the explanation when the Holy Spirit gives me the explanation? And there it is. So, verse 19 says, he said this, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. Huh. You know what I think verse 18 is about? I think that's the Lord saying this, signifying what kind of death Peter's going to glorify God. <laughs> okay, I know, genius. I should write a, a book or a journal article or something. You know, because there's all these debates. Well, that's all right. Because this also is a passage that clears up confusion. And um, verse 23, this saying went out among the brethren, uh, but it's, it's a saying, it's an idiom, but it's wrong that uh, the disciple would not die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? All right? None of your business. Or none of your beeswax. Or you know, we might have some other kind of an idiom. Um, the point being is that this, the reason why there's an epilogue chapter is because there had been some misunderstandings uh, related to this episode. And this episode was never recorded in any gospel. And, uh, and so as the story was told orally, uh, it was being told wrong. And the, the legend kept growing. And so at some point, 
the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, wrote an addendum chapter to his gospel, attached it to the other 20 chapters, and uh, we have it to this day uh, for this reason, to clear up the, to tell the real story, to, to record the real prophecy, and then to um, clear up the uh, confusion. By the way, depending on how you date the, the Gospel of John, uh, it may have likely not even been written until after Peter was, was dead. You know, in which case, it was a prophecy at the time it was spoken, but it was already past history by the time it was written down and put in the, uh, in the canon. So, um, we have it there. Now, um, subpoints now. Now, let's look at verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, Standard introduction of what uh, the Lord says as he's going to utter truth. When you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. There it is. That's what the Lord has to say. And uh, the explanation then comes in verse 19 it's interesting because we don't know how old peter is we suspect he was the oldest of all the apostles that he was the leader of all the apostles and if he was indeed in partnership with zebedee then i think it makes sense that that would put him on a you know on a basically a generational basis that james and john are the sons of zebedee peter was partners with their dad with zebedee with you know with their dad so you know um can't prove that they were of a comparable age you can be in a business partnership with you know in a fishing consortium when you put your boats together with zebedee's boats you don't have to be close in age but i still would think that peter would be closer to zebedee's age than he would be to james and john in their age all right in any event um how old was peter well he's no longer a young man when you were younger okay remember those days (laughs) you're not as young as you used to be Okay, that's true for all of us, but this is what the Lord's telling Peter. Peter, you're not young. You used to be. And when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish. Now, what's happening now? What's happening now? You used to do this when you were younger. You used to gird yourself, Peter. What's the circumstance on the day he spoke this? What's the circumstance now? Um, but when you grow old... Now, this is... He's not yet to that point, but he's approaching it. It's in sight. He's no longer younger. Um, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will gird you. Now, he's not there yet, he's not, but he's close. I think it's just the language of the, of the expressions here. And someone else will gird you. All right, now that's humbling enough, meaning the fact that as you grow old, you don't always have sovereignty over what you would like. All right, and sometimes choices are out of your hands, and sometimes it, they need to be. Sometimes there's others, and it, it is what it is. But and it may not always be pleasant, okay? And um, in the case of martyrdom, um, there it is. Well, why am I going here? In other words, taking him to the cross. Church tradition, of course, is that he will die on a cross. That he requests at the moment that they're nailing him to to flip it over and let him be crucified upside down and um that's the legend anyway and there's a lot of other legends associated with peter and they are as reliable as you want to give credibility to the folks that are repeating the legends all right as far as that goes 
Uh, the legends, of course, that he's the first pope and he founded the Roman church and so on and so forth. I think biblically we can disprove that. Um, it's questionable whether Peter ever was in Rome. But that's, again, uh, a matter for which traditions do you choose to follow and uh, how much credibility do you give to the people that are espousing the views that they're espousing. So, um, what do we learn under this now? Peter wondered if the Lord had a prophecy for John as well. So uh, Peter turns around and saw John and said, what about that guy? (laughs) You know, uh, there's nothing. I I would like for there to be a verse in between verse 19 and verse 20. Um, It's interesting. So when, when he had said this, he said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So we have three imperatives followed by a prophecy, followed by a final imperative of follow me. Follow me. Okay? And ultimately, I love the way that the follow me kind of ties together the first three imperatives. Doesn't that make sense? Um, You've got tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. Don't feel like you're going to be just out there winging it, doing it on your own. If you're following Jesus, then what's Jesus doing? He's tending his sheep. He's shepherding his lambs. He's tending his sheep. Um, so follow me is a, is a summary for those three imperatives. It's the fourth imperative of the passage. And, uh, and really, uh, an under-shepherd who's following the Lord, the apostle and high priest of our confession, the good, great, and chief shepherd. Uh, so far as I follow Jesus Christ, he's shepherding this flock, I'm shepherding this flock. If I stop following Jesus Christ, well, then I'm going to stop shepherding this flock, won't I? I'll be involved in some, some kind of stupid thing and uh, failing in what it is the Lord has for me to do. All right. So then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this guy? What about this man, this, this, this guy? All right. Um, interestingly enough, we don't have any reaction of what Peter said. You know, no reaction about, yes, Lord, uh, you know I love you. Yes, Lord, you know I'll follow you. You know, there's no verbal acknowledgement on Peter's behalf that he has identified with the imperative and that he is going to obey the imperative. Probably, um, you know, now that he's had three affirmations to cancel out the three, uh, the three denials, uh, Peter might be a little reluctant to try to make a boast about, oh yes, Lord, I'll follow you. <laughs> the last time Peter said he would follow the Lord is uh, when he got in a, that denial trouble. Um, I'm willing to follow you even to death, he said. Right. So here's the imperative, follow me, and Peter just shuts his mouth and doesn't say yes, I will, or anything of that sort. But he does turn and he sees the other disciple. Now all six of these guys are here. Right? We don't envision any of them departed they 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 came together they had breakfast together there would no reason why anyone would have walked off john's still there he doesn't ask about the other five or the other four right why he doesn't ask about the other four but he is interested in john that that's i find puzzling (laughs) why does he have the interest in john okay because remember, it's the, do you love me more than these, more than these other disciples? Are you my number one disciple? Are you the one who loves me more? And that whole denial thing was like, Lord, they're going to deny you, but not me. They will all fall away, but not me. I'm going with you to death. Okay. 
And so do you love me more than these? Meaning, do you love me more than these other disciples, including... See, I think Peter was under conviction that, that John loved the Lord more than he did. John's the one that reclined on his breast. John's the one that could recline back and say, who is it, Lord? John's the one that when Peter needed answers, he went to John and said, would you ask the Lord who he's talking about? Okay? If he's going to be brutally honest, he can't say, I love you more than John loves you. All he can say is, Lord, you know I love you. Right? And so he gets a prophecy about the kind of death he's going to glorify God. He gets a prophecy that says, wow, you're going to be, in your old age, you're going to be taken to your death for my name's sake. And he says, well, what about this guy? What about this guy? What's his death going to be like? Is he going to glorify your name? Um, is he going to glorify God? What about this guy? What's he going to do? And the Lord basically rebukes him and says, what business is it of your? Why do you care? Why are you asking that? Now, you can ask that question for the right reasons. You can also ask that question for the wrong reasons. And I think the Lord rebuked him pretty harsh here and highlighted the fact that that's not your concern. That is none of your concern. That is not, that's, that is uh, not your business. All right. So, um, Interesting. Jesus said John's destiny was not Peter's concern. And the more I chew on this, I find it remarkable. You say, well, that's not fair. Oh, well, life's not fair. Get over it. Peter wondered if the Lord had a prophecy for John as well. Well, if so, it's not for you to hear. Well, John got to hear his prophecy. How come John got to overhear the do you love me exchange? How come John got to hear the uh, when you were younger you used to gird yourself message? Why does John get to hear Peter's prophecy but Peter doesn't get to know if John's got a prophecy? That just seems wrong. Jesus said, well, it's the way it is. What business is that of yours? So Peter seeing him say, Lord, what about this guy? And Jesus said to him, well, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. It's none of your business, Peter. If I want him to remain until I come, if I want him to not die. Remember that guy, uh, Simon in the temple, who the, uh, the, the prophecy had been given that he would not die until he saw the Christ? Okay. Well, now think about it. Jesus says, well, you know, well, well, Okay, I told you you're going to die. If I want him to live all the way until the second advent, remember they don't have rapture doctrine yet. Well, yeah, they do. John 14, they've got rapture doctrine. I will come again and receive you to myself. So if I want him to live until I come back and take you to these homes I'm going to go prepare, what is that to you? Now that's not the prophecy. It's a what if. And Jesus is challenging Peter with this what if. And in challenging Peter with this what if, I think it lays bare some of the jealousy and some of the pride and some of the comparative issues that Peter was struggling with. Just laying it right out there. Okay? So we can use it. It's a rhetorical device. We can use it in teaching children. We can use it in teaching believers. Scripture uses it. We throw out a what if. 
we throw out a what if and then we ask, would that bother you? Okay? Would that bother you? You know, you take the most wicked human being you've ever, you've ever uh, thought about. Somebody that you just, you know, did you dirt and hurt you and did all that stuff. Would it bother you to hear that they got saved? Would that bother you? Would it bother you that, uh, that he now pastors the biggest church in uh, Missouri? Would it bother you that uh, he won the lotto three months ago, now has $200 million? Would that bother you? You know, whatever. You know. Because it's only carnality. Love takes no pleasure in that. But carnality does. And carnality also is grieved over the success of others. Because they say, well, that's not right. We get very human. We get very relative in our carnality. And so what Jesus does here, he says, would that bother you? What is that to you? If I want him to live until the trumpet, are you okay with that? <laughs> okay? And, and so Jesus uses hyperbole to express that. Basically saying, it's not your concern. Why is it, why is it your concern? Why does that bother you? If, if, if I want him to remain. Understand the, the, the conditional clause here. And so, therefore, this saying went out among the brethren. There were only six people who heard this. And uh, John was one of them, and he didn't get it mixed up. He's, he's setting the matter straight. So there were five of them that heard this. And who knows? Did Peter get it wrong? Did the other, the other four eavesdroppers get it wrong? Who got it wrong? And then they told it, and then they retold it, and then they retold it. And if you're going to retell something that you didn't actually hear, well then, how accurate is that going to be? So this saying went out among the brethren that that, that disciple would not die. It becomes a legend. John can't die. Okay, John can't die. And again, depending on how you went, what decade it was that this gospel gets written, think about it. He just keeps living and keeps living and keeps living through the 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s. Jerusalem's destroyed in 70 AD and John keeps living and living into the 80s, into the 90s. All right. Finally, Caesar banishes him to the Isle of Patmos. He's still living in 96 AD. Is he ever going to die? Well, you know what I heard? I heard from somebody who heard from this guy, who heard from this guy, who heard from this guy that was there. Jesus said he wasn't going to die. He told Peter, Peter was going to die, but I told John, John wasn't going to die. It's not true, but people were telling that story. Okay? See, this is why we can't hold up the church fathers, the apostolic fathers, as if they're infallible. They were very fallible. They were, they were falling for rumors and stories and all kinds of things. They had false teaching they were getting wrapped up in. I mean, you see that in the New Testament books. The apostles were clearing up the false teaching in their day, much less the generation after. Okay, So, um, a misunderstanding of Jesus' hyperbole. A misunderstanding of Jesus' hyperbole led to a mistaken tradition. Led to a mistaken tradition. And yet, that tradition was in widespread existence at the time the Gospel was written. A misunderstanding of Jesus' hyperbole led to a mistaken tradition in widespread existence at the time this Gospel was written. 
at least at the time this chapter was written. Maybe the reason why the addendum chapter was attached to the first 20 chapters. If in fact the true conclusion was originally um, chapter 20 verses 30 and 31. If that originally had wrapped up the gospel. Let's say written in the 70s. Then a decade later uh, an addendum chapter was added. Or two decades later. Maybe a, a chapter was added as he was composing 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. That's possible, sure. All right, but a misunderstanding. Here's the thing. When everybody just knows it's true, who actually goes back to the Scripture and says, well, wait a minute, where does it say that? Okay? You know the Lord moves in mysterious ways. Is that a Bible verse? Okay. But how many people think it is? God moves in mysterious ways. Not a Bible verse. Came from an English hymn. Okay? His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the sea and rides on every storm. It's a hymn, an English hymn, and it is not scripture. God helps those who help themselves. And and you could probably name a few more. There's there's several. There's several, and they're just in common usage, widespread existence. And sadly, uh, very few believers take the time to, to think their way through. Okay? Now, I mean, if in fact that was a true prophecy, wow, I mean, we're 2,000 years into the church age now. Can you imagine being that old? No, not, not without a tree of life and the fruit there to kind of regenerate his physical body. John was in a mortal body. And... Um, Anyway, this is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Don't listen to what they say. John's saying, I was there. I heard what I heard. I know what the Lord said. Here's what he said. Here's how the the saying was misheard and misunderstood. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were to be written in detail, I suppose even the world itself. See, it's wonderful because now he uses the hyperbole uh, rhetoric. He uses the hyperbole to say even planet Earth isn't big enough for all the books that would be written. Okay? I wonder what John would have done if he'd have known that, uh, that I've got 2,000 books right here on this, on this little device. You know? <laughs> Isn't this something? I could put 2,000 books right here, more, whatever my Libronics library is, right there, okay? And, uh, you know, so can the world hold the books that could be written? Well, not with uh, first century technology. But even there, he's just supposing, so don't take that as a fact. That's just his supposition. Finally then, this epilogue chapter restates and expands the epistle conclusion from the previous chapter. This epilogue chapter restates and expands the epistle conclusion. Shouldn't be epistle, the gospel conclusion. Gospel of John is not an epistle, not a letter being written to anybody. Um, But it restates and expands the gospel conclusion. Should change that. The book conclusion from the previous chapter. It is, it is almost identical. It's just an expansion. 
In chapter 20, therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. That concluded the Gospel initially until this extra chapter got added by John himself, I'm convinced, by John himself sometime thereafter. So what does he do? Well, let's, let's wrap this up again. Let's wrap this conclusion up again. And let's uh, adapt the conclusion we used last time. There are many other things Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. So there you have it. All right, any questions on that before we move on? All right, well, let's take a look at where we're going next. We're almost done. We got episode, uh, these should go fairly quickly, 10 and 11. And then, um, and for this, we've got to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, then we have episode 12, which is the uh, Great Commission. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples. And uh, then we have episode 13 which is the ascension. Jesus uh, went out to the Mount of Olives with his disciples and he was caught up into the cloud, uh, caught up into the air and a a cloud received him out of their sight. And they just kind of all stood there like turkeys in the rain looking up. And uh, angel comes along and says, what are you looking up for? Okay. So we have uh, really, you can't count this. This is, what's the doctrine here? (laughs) Teasing. Okay. After episodes 10 and 11, we just have two more to go. We've got the Great Commission and we've got the Ascension. That's how close we are to the end of seven years of the Life of Christ series. Okay? Uh, but this will take a while. Okay? The Great Commission uh, is going to take a while. What does it mean to make disciples? I think it's important since you and I are under the imperative to make disciples. And um, also... Uh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What is our connection to his authority? And what authority do we have in heaven and on earth? There's a lot in the Great Commission, okay? And there's a lot in the Ascension. I think uh, it, it is, there's doctrine associated with the Ascension that we have to identify with related to his session, seated at the right hand of God the Father, and his promised return, and how it is that uh, we have no calendar that we can fix that says after 69 sevens, we have nothing, no calendar that tells us when he will return, that he is preparing a place for us, and that when, that, when, when those preparations are done, that he will come for us. But we don't know when. It could be today. The principles of imminency. So there's a lot of doctrine that goes into the ascension, a lot of doctrine that goes into the Great Commission. Uh, and and those back to back could take a while, but I, I still suspect that 2014 is is going to wrap it up. Okay. But first, we got to cover this: the appearance to the 500, the appearance to James. All right. So, um, might be worthwhile. Also, uh, do you have your harmonies? Do you keep them with you to bring them to class? You do. You don't. You do, okay. It's, it's worthwhile. Um, grab a harmony. Grab it off the website, austinbiblechurch.com. Go to Life of Christ. 
Harmony of the Gospels. Right there, PDF. Harmony of the Gospels. See how easy that is? Go to the end. And make it big enough to read. All right. We look at these events, 10 and 11, the appearance to 500, the appearance to James. And it's an interesting, uh, you gotta, you got to plug them in somewhere. Because they're recorded in 1 Corinthians 15, and they're not recorded anywhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. All right. We have glimpses that we might be able to connect to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 6 and 7. In instances, uh, glimpses we might be able to connect and try to try to synchronize and harmonize, but there it is. All right, and it's probably I, I don't I don't uh, have problems with where they were placed. Remember, this is not my harmony. This is A.T. Robertson and his harmony, and I, I agree with the placement of events uh, 10 and 11 there. I think it makes sense to put them between 9 and 12. What I would do though is uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dispute episode 12, and I'll teach that when we get to episode 12, the Great Commission. I think uh, what A.T. What e. Robertson did was he linked Matthew 28 with Mark 16 with Luke 24, and he linked those passages all together in the Great Commission episode. And I'll teach this when we get there. I would, I would prefer to take that Luke passage out and give that Luke passage its own event in between event 12 and 13. So I would take out that Luke 24, 44 through 49, put it down a line lower, make that the new event 13, and then make the, uh, the ascension uh, an event 14. Does that make sense? Okay. But that's just me. Okay. Um, I, pro- I won't. I'll, I'll teach it. I'll outline them separately. Or I'll, I'll, I'll outline the Luke material after I outline the Matthew material. We'll do, that, we'll do it that way. We'll just teach it in class under the heading of episode 12, Great Commission. But uh, I believe that um, the Great Commission was up on a mountain in Galilee and that, uh, that it coincided with the appearance to the 500, by the way. So 10 and, and 12 really took place on the same day at the same place. Twelve and, and uh, 10 and 12 are the same. That's when he appeared to the 500, when he was on that mountain. We'll talk about that. Uh, so if 10 and 12 are the same, then uh, I think, I think uh, the Luke portion there that's included under 12 doesn't belong there because it's back in Jerusalem. And he tells them to stay here in Jerusalem until, until the Holy Spirit comes. So Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll look at that when we get to Luke 24. For uh, today, though, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, and it's good that we can hit this passage because there's, uh, this is where uh, folks want to go when they want to try to convince you that the Gospel of John is not evangelistic. Um, <laughs> the Holy Spirit recorded that the Gospel of John is evangelistic. And that if you read the Gospel of John, and that the signs that are recorded in the Gospel of, of John are sufficient so as to persuade you that Jesus is the Christ and that believing in Jesus, you have eternal life. So the, the, the Holy Spirit records for us that the Gospel of John is evangelistic. And yet people will dispute that and say, no, it's not. Um, 
That was, uh, that was for Israel. That was before the church. 1 Corinthians 15 is the gospel. They'll tell you that 1 Corinthians 15 is the gospel, not John. Okay? And they get very livid about it and, they, and ugly. And just, I find it heartbreaking. You want to use 1 Corinthians 15, use 1 Corinthians 15. But if you want to use John, use John, because the Holy Spirit said to do so. And don't use 1 Corinthians 15 and then tell me I can't use John. All right. So I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand. And by the way, this was written before the gospel of John was written. (laughs) All right. So... You know, the Holy Spirit in John 20 doesn't say, uh, you know, there were many other signs that Jesus performed, but uh, go read the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians, if you want the gospel. He said, read this book after 1 Corinthians 15 was already written. All right. The, The gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, which also you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, I don't see anything in there that contradicts with the Gospel of John. Right? If I read the Gospel of John, what am I going to learn? I'm going to learn that Christ died and that He was buried and that He was raised. And then if I believe in Christ, I receive eternal life. So they're not, they're not in competition against each other. And you want to use this, use this. If you want to use the Romans road, use that. If you want to use, I mean, use the gospel you want to use. All right. But it doesn't stop there. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And it didn't stop there. And that he appeared. Now what's interesting is they, we focus on three and four as if that's the gospel. But this passage doesn't stop with 3 and 4. This passage goes on to 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 and 11. That's the context. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. So you believed. Okay? And so uh, there it is. And the use of uh, you believed in verse 11 as a past completed action matches up uh, greatly with the uh, you believed in verse 2. Unless you believed in vain, which they didn't. Okay, you believed, verse 11. So when I see the you believed in verse 2, the you believed in verse 11, I realize that 3 through 11 is a unit. And 3 through 11 as a unit has to be handled as a unit. And then, uh, you know, I'm not saying you're wrong to lock in on the death, burial, and resurrection. That's what verses 3 and 4 deal with. They deal with death, burial, resurrection. That's great. But it doesn't stop there. You have appearance after appearance after appearance after appearance after appearance. And it's all those appearances that has the emphasis of this passage. Because then it comes back to how it was they got saved and who preached to them. Paul did. But even if it wasn't Paul, if it was I or they, we preach and you believed. Okay? So, 
Um, here we have it. He was buried in uh, verse uh, 5. So he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. So at the time, 1 Corinthians written, what, what year was 1 Corinthians written? Probably 56, 57. Okay, you can just ballpark it. Um, we're not far off. I mean, we're, we're pretty precise in, in Paul's second and third missionary journeys. We're very precise because we have the, uh, the uh, uh, historical information of the book of Acts and we have secular history that, co- that corroborates that when uh, Gallo was proconsul and, and other dates that we can, we can pinpoint with some, some good uh, accuracy. So uh, here it is 20 years later. Jesus died in, the, in 33 A.D., and uh, here we are in the, in the 50s, okay, just 20 years later. And there's still people around. Be like, if I'm preaching today in wait, 2013, okay, <laughs> and I go back 20 years, that's just 1993, all right? Possibly 24 years, okay, from 33 to 57. So we can go back to 1989, 1990. Well, if there are witnesses to an event that happened in 1990, are there still people alive that remember it? Yeah. There's a whole lot of witnesses that saw it, more than 500 at one time, most of whom are still around. Okay? All right. So, um, 1990, that was the year I first met Shirley. Yeah, I met Sharon. And, and you and Sharon were sitting side by side like you and Linty are sitting, right? Just like that, left and right. Shirley and Sharon on a Wednesday night. All right. A little bit younger back then. But, but the point being, here's the thing. When, when 1 Corinthians is written, if any of this is wrong, if any of this is, is, is not accurate, the living witnesses are on hand to dispute it. Okay? That's powerful. That is absolutely powerful. So, uh, he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Here's all these appearances. And this is what we're going to have to deal with. Now, taking these appearances and then plugging them back into the Gospels is a project. And not everyone agrees. When, it, when people try to do that, um, they can come to some kind of some different uh, harmonizations. They can come to some different matchups. Okay? We just got to be relaxed about it. And not, not you know... Uh, you know, I'm, I've got a different. I, I put 10 and 12 as the same event. A.T. Robertson didn't. All right. Okay. He's with the Lord now, so he knows better. <laughs> okay. Or I'm wrong, and when I get to be with the Lord, I'm going to learn better. That's the point. Okay. It's like you have Daniel, 70 weeks. You have a, a seven year tribulation. It's broken down into two halves, three and a half years, three and a half years. Each one of those is, is 1,260 days. 1,260 days. And that's what you have in the book of Daniel. In the book of Revelation, you've got seals and uh, trumpets and bowls. Okay? And so you've got the Daniel sequence and you've got the Revelation sequence. But we don't have a book of the Bible that blends them for us. Because Daniel doesn't talk about seals, trumpets, and bulls. And Revelation doesn't talk about the first half of the week, the second half of the week. It just talks about the entire 
seals, trumpets, and bowls uh, wrath. All right? And so we have a project. And different people do it in different ways. Okay? Some people put seals and trumpets in the first half, bowls at the, in the second half. Some just put seals in the first half, trumpets and bowls in the second half. Some don't put anything in the first half. Put all seals, trumpets, and bulls, all of it in the second half of the tribulation, the final three and a half years. Well, why such a difference? Because they're trying to, they're, 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 they're harmonizing passages, comparing Scripture to Scripture. They're noble-minded like the Bereans. I'm not mocking them. I'm not knocking them. They're just coming to a different blend because there's no passage of Scripture that does it for them. And that's what we're doing today. We're taking 1 Corinthians 15, all of these appearances, resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ, recorded for us here, not recorded for us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So when we, when we try to harmonize them and blend them and put them together, we're not maybe not going to do them in exactly the same way that other people have done them. Because it's a project, and everyone that undertakes the project might do it slightly differently. Does that make sense? You know, it's like uh, when the Apostle Paul is quoted by Luke in the book of Acts and he says, you know, as we heard from the Lord, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Well, it's colored red. It's the words of Christ in red. It's in the book of Acts. It's something Peter, something uh, Paul spoke, Luke recorded, but we can't find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Well, when did Jesus say that? We don't know. And to try to plug it into the life of Christ somewhere in the somewhere in the ministry. Well, he said it somewhere, sometime. I'm sure he said something about a chicken. Okay. All right. Now, I'm going to combine episodes ten and eleven into eight points of study. Here we go. Point one. The Apostle Paul outlined all of Jesus's I coined a term for this study. You're going to like this. The Apostle Paul outlined all of Jesus' post-resurrection, ecclesiastical, apostolic callings, and hand of fellowship extensions. This is what a resurrection appearance is. Post-resurrection, ecclesiastical, apostolic calling, and hand of fellowship extensions. When Jesus Christ appeared, he commissioned each appearance, he commissioned these people as apostles, ecclesiastical apostles. He had, he had 12 apostles already. They were apostles of the Lamb in the Old Testament. But now he's making appearances and extending this right hand of fellowship. And he is calling church age apostles. Different from Israel apostles, apostles of the Lamb. These are ecclesiastical apostolic callings. Post-resurrection, ecclesiastical, apostolic callings, and hand of fellowship extensions. This is what's happening. And I think as we look at these appearances, and as we look at the significance of calling an apostle, I think it becomes clear. It is more than just a, ta-da, see me, I'm alive. More than that. More than just, did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. 
It's more than just what they have seen. It is what they are commissioned to testify to, even to the point of death. They cannot deny this testimony. It is a hand of fellowship extension. As the apostle and high priest of our confession is identifying his chosen apostles. His chosen ecclesiastical apostles. It's even remarkable. Have I not seen the Lord, as it says, if I back up to chapter 9 and verse 1. I'm going to coin this expression, by the way. P-R-E-A-C-H. Post-resurrection ecclesiastical apostolic callings and hand of fellowship. Because these are the apostles that are called to preach. They're called to preach the gospel as church age apostles. Post-resurrection ecclesiastical apostolic callings and hand of fellowship extensions paul says am i not free am i not an apostle you know the church age apostles are the free freest human beings to ever walk this planet absolutely the freest human beings to ever walk this planet with maximum church age liberty more than you and i have today by virtue of their representative authority they were representative of jesus christ himself wow Think there's some liberty with that? Okay? I've got delegated authority. They had representative authority. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Seeing Jesus in a post-resurrection ecclesiastical apostolic calling and hand of fellowship extension. He was called as an apostle called as an apostle this hand of fellowship extension is interesting because we see it between uh, peter james and john barnabas and paul we find it this was their uh identification with each other apostles of jesus christ in the church age identified with the right hand of fellowship galatians 2 verses 7 through 9 Galatians 2, verses 7 through 9. Flip over there. Let's take a look at it. And interestingly enough, what is the context here in Galatians 2? The context here is legalism. The context here is uh, immature Christians that uh, would limit your liberty. And for the apostles that had maximum liberty in Christ, I can't imagine. So you have false brethren, verse 4, secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus. A bunch of sneaks, right? False brethren, sneaks, spying out liberty. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Christ? which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we do not yield in subjection to them for even an hour. Because if the apostles plunge into this, what's the flock going to do? That's why it's so tragic that Peter blew it and even Barnabas got carried away into it. All right. So, uh, verse 7 talking about reputations here god shows no partiality um they contributed nothing to me 
His apostolic calling came from the Lord, not from them. But on the contrary, verse 7, seeing that I had been entrusted. When did that happen? On the road to Damascus, that's right. In the, in the hours and days that followed, the Lord sent Ananias to, re, to restore Paul's sight. And then Paul began to receive teaching directly from Jesus Christ himself. He said, my teaching is not from flesh and blood. My teaching is not from man. I received it directly from the Lord. I received from the Lord that which I delivered unto you. So on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. Every apostolic calling had a sphere of operation. Every apostolic calling had a scope of ministry. And the Lord gave Peter his, and the Lord told Peter that John had his also, but it was none of Peter's business. Every apostle was called, and God told him up front, they said, this is your apostolic field. And when you finish your course, I'm calling you home. Paul knew that he'd run his race. He knew that he'd fought the good fight. He knew at the end of his life, Paul knows that he's achieved what it was the Father called for him to do. So entrusted, that's this right hand of fellowship extension. I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised as Peter had been to the circumcised. See, this is why I believe Paul went to Rome, the Gentile capital of the world. I believe that's why Peter went to Babylon because of the, uh, the, the largest Jewish population at that time was in Babylon. Where was the Talmud written? Where, were the, where was the huge Jewish population after the dispersion out of Jerusalem? It was in Babylon. He even greets them from Babylon in uh, in uh, First and Second Peter. There, the experts tell you, "Oh, that's code for Rome." It says Babylon. All right. Who tells you it's code for Rome? The Roman Church that wants Peter to be their first pope and wants to, to have domination over every other church on the planet. All right, that's who tells you that he went to Rome. Oh, it's code for Rome. It says Babylon. He's the apostle who was entrusted to the circumcised. All right. Uh, For he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship. Notice, Peter has an apostleship. Paul has an apostleship. Barnabas, all these guys have apostleships. Okay? That, That deals with the sphere of the apostolic calling. That's the course of their ministry. Okay. Effectively, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. In large respect, it's kind of interesting because there was tremendous fruit that was being born there in Antioch. And then uh, Peter shows up and stri- uh, starts to try to intrude. Stepping across jurisdiction there. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, notice now, recognizing the grace that had been given to me. This is huge. Because this goes with what you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, what you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. All the earthly church activity is a reflection of heavenly church activity. And so, recognizing the grace that had been given to me, wanting to be a reflection of the heavenly church activity, James and Cephas and John gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. 
the right hand of fellowship. Now, don't, don't get wrapped up in the humanity of it and say, well, this was just in the human sphere. Okay, so James and Cephas and John, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Paul and Barnabas. They said, all right, you guys weren't uh, apostles of the Lamb, but you are apostles in the church, your church-age apostles. Did they make them church-age apostles? No. They recognized what had already been done in heaven. What you loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. What you bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. Okay? Remember, all the earthly church activity is a reflection of already existing heavenly church reality. Jesus Christ is the one who has extended the hand of fellowship. Jesus Christ has extended. It's like when we ordain a pastor. We lay hands on an ordination. But the ones we lay hands on have already had their hands laid on them by the Lord. God has already placed a call on their life. God has already provided a gift and trained that gift and suited that gift and has already set them apart. Why in Acts 13, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me the Barnabas and Paul to the work that I've called for them to do. And so they got together, they prayed, and they laid hands on them and they set them apart. The earthly activity is a reflection of the heavenly activity. So, recognizing the grace that had been given to me. That's the heavenly reality. Jesus Christ has already extended the hand of fellowship to Paul as an apostle. He's already extended the hand of fellowship to Barnabas as an apostle. That heavenly reality is now being recognized by James and Cephas and John. And so what do they do? They extend the right hand of fellowship. The right hand of fellowship. So when the human beings extend the right hand of fellowship, it's a reflection of what Jesus Christ has already extended. That's why I called these appearances. They're not just post-resurrection appearances. Not just, ta-da, see me, I'm alive. More than that, much more than that, is I'm alive and you are now my representative. You are now my apostle. You are now going to go and proclaim my death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and session to this lost and dying world. And uh, here's the course of your apostleship. Here's what I'm going to produce in you. Here is the end of your course. And when you run that course to the end, I will call you home. Peter knew his destiny. John knew his destiny. Paul knew his destiny. To me, I've concluded every single church age apostle knows the end from the beginning. They know the end of their course. They know what day God's taken them home. And they're not afraid of it. John 17, verses 20 and 21 We'll have to close with this. John 17. Here's the Lord in His high priestly prayer on the night in which He's betrayed, before He goes to the garden, before He gets arrested. And He's praying that His apostles would be sanctified in the truth. That they're going to they're gonna operate in, in the fallen world. And He says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Then in the course of their conflict, they're going to operate in the church age, which is the age of satanic sifting. Satan's going to sift them like wheat. And not, don't take them away from their problems. See them through their problems. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
And as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself. This speaks of what he's going to do in session in the right hand of God the Father, our advocate seated at the Father's right hand, the apostle and high priest of our confession, sanctifying himself in the truth so that his apostles can sanctify themselves in the truth and not them only. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. It's not just the eleven. Plus Matthias was there. Plus uh, uh, Barsabbas was there. All right, Not just these alone. But also, those who believe in me through their word. In other words, the apostolic gospel message once the church gets started. The calling of the apostles and their word, the apostolic gospel, through their word. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So the entire body of Christ, the royal family of God, church-age saints, redeemed brothers and sisters that are baptized into personal union with Jesus Christ. In other words, Pentecost or rapture. This present evil age. Not Old Testament saints, not tribulational saints, not millennial saints, ecclesiastical saints, body of Christ, royal family of God. That becomes important. All right. And so here's the Apostle Paul outlining every single apostolic commission. Every single apostolic commission. And when we come back next week, we'll show you why the women aren't mentioned. Mary Magdalene, the other women at the tomb. Why aren't they recorded in 1 Corinthians 15? Why does it say he appeared first to Cephas? No, he didn't. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene. She thought he was the gardener. And then he appeared to these other women. And said, go tell my disciples to meet me in Galilee. Why does 1 Corinthians 15 says he appeared first to Cephas, then to the twelve, then to five hundred at one time, then to James? Why is 1 Corinthians 15 giving us a list that's leaving out the women? Paul hated women. Peter was misogynist. Paul was misogynist. Yeah, we know Paul hated women. I've, I've read that in books. Paul hated women. Come back next week and we'll detail why the women. Yeah, he appeared to them first, but he did not commission them as apostles. It was not a post-resurrection ecclesiastical apostolic calling and hand of fellowship extension when he appeared to Mary Magdalene. All right. Thank you, Father, for your truth. Thy word is truth. Open our eyes to understand what the apostolic callings really were, who the apostles really were, how it is in fact that we have no living apostles today father the signs of a true apostle are not needed today because there are no more apostles have not been since john went home i thank you father in christ's name amen